We've got a nice little wall of shoeboxes. That's great. At the end of the service today, we're going to pray over those and ask God to do a great thing through these small gifts because each child that gets one of these is going to um, not only get a little gift, but they're also going to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And so very excited to, to send those off this week. Thank you for doing that if you did. Um, as your pastor, one of my responsibilities is to give you good advice. Hopefully I try to do that all the time. Um, if you are traveling the, this holiday, uh, don't do like the lady from Kentucky did at Greenville Spartanburg Airport last Saturday. Her name was Laura Jones. Um, as far as I know, she's not related, but she's from Kentucky, so it's probable, if not possible. So uh, we probably are kin somehow. Um, she was having a little problem with TSA people. They um, didn't respond to her the way that she felt like they should. And so when they asked her if she had any hazardous materials in her possession, she said, yes, I have a bomb. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, that really, that bought her a, a week stay at the, um, the luxurious uh, Spartanburg County Detention Center. So uh, you don't want to do that. Um, when, they apply, when you apply for an, to be an ATS agent, they have a questionnaire. And on the questionnaire, it says, do you have a sense of humor? And if you mark yes, you can't be one. So do not, you do not want to mess with those people. Uh, and it could be worse. I've been to countries. In fact, I was thinking about this uh, just this week. I believe it was when I, we landed in Turkey. I was in Istanbul, Turkey, flying on a mission trip to Africa. And there were guys walking around in the airport with uh, machine guns. That's a little intimidating, I have to tell you. And I'm a, I try to make funny comments a lot of times. I wasn't even tempted uh, to make a funny comment in Istanbul, Turkey, because they looked like the guys that would shoot first and laugh later. I was going to go up to them and say, hey, is that thing loaded? But that really didn't make any sense. So don't do that. All right, so I'm trying to help you. Don't do that. Today, we're talking about a journey. And the Bible often talks about the spiritual life in the context of this is a journey. I'm getting from here to there, and I'm walking with Jesus. Even when we did the 23rd Psalm, that, if you recall, that whole psalm was about a journey, about the shepherd taking the sheep from the lowlands to the highlands, and he walked through the valley, and, and he gets to the highlands, and he comes back down to the lowlands. And over and over, the metaphor of, of the spiritual walk as a journey is used in Scripture. Let me give you a couple more verses here. Psalm 119, uh, 101 says, I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. And there's the language of I'm on a path, I'm going someplace, I'm on a journey. And the 105th verse says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So over and over again, we're told that our spiritual life is a journey. And today we're going to look at a guy who wrote about this. Uh, his name is John. If you want to look in your Bibles, it's 1 John. Uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be. John wrote five books in the Bible. Uh, he wrote the book of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He's like, uh, um, who was that boxer that named everybody George? George Foreman. He's like George Foreman. Every kid was named George. Um, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then Revelation. It's the last book he wrote. And all these uh, books that he wrote. The book of John is about Jesus' life from John's perspective. But 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation are written from a pastoral perspective. He was a, uh, John was uh, one of Jesus' great, great friends, one of the inner circle of Jesus' friends. He was there when Jesus was crucified. If you'll recall, Jesus is on the cross and he says from the cross to John, basically he says, hey, take care of my mother. 
And, and so, I mean, he is one of Jesus' closest friends. Interestingly enough, John is one of the apostles that wasn't martyred. Um, many of the others were martyred. Peter uh, w- became a martyr for Jesus and requested, he was crucified on a cross, requested to be crucified upside down, if you can imagine. I mean, crucifixion is horrid. I can't imagine saying, not only do I, I mean, I'm going to be crucified. I don't, his, his notion was, I don't deserve to die the same way Jesus died. And it's pretty noble. And he was crucified upside down according to uh, church history. Now, John wasn't executed, but he was exiled. And so he gets to be older in age, and he's leading churches. And in that day, and even in our day today, we don't function like this as, as a church. But there are certain churches that have a, a kind of a hierarchical structure. And they have a bishop of Catholic Church as a pope and, and that sort of thing. Well, back in the day, uh, John was sort of the bishop over a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so he wrote letters to these churches who were being persecuted. Uh, The book of Revelation, that is what that's about. It's, hey, John is writing and saying, hey, I know it's bad, but we win in the end. Let me tell you how it goes down. Um, And so 1st and 2nd and 3rd John are pastoral letters written to people who needed to know a couple things. Now, interestingly enough, Rome exiles him as an old man to an island. And if you were exiled, it's not like you were on vacation. When he got exiled to Patmos, most people believe that he worked in the mines there. And this guy is old, in his 80s or 90s. So he's old and they ship him off. They ship him off basically to keep him quiet. And so he's on this island and he's working and he writes this letter. And you'd think, well, that's probably as bad as it gets, but it really isn't as bad as it gets because... In the churches that he left, there's a theology that starts to rise up. And Paul had to deal with it as well in churches he started. It, it was called Gnosticism. And the notion was anything physical was evil. So if it was flesh and blood, it's evil. But anything spirit, spiritual is solid, it's holy. And so their teaching was Jesus didn't actually come as a man. He only appeared as a man. Because if he had come in the flesh, then it would have been evil. And Jesus wasn't evil. And that was the teaching. And so John had to deal with his churches around this teaching. That that matter was evil and everything else was not evil. And what John wanted to, to tell them, and our big idea for the day is, this journey that we go on with Jesus isn't to be endured, it's to be enjoyed. It's really interesting coming from a guy who is exiled on an island working in a mine in his 80s. I mean, do you ever go to Walmart and you see the greeters and they're really, really old and you kind of feel sorry for them? I, I do that a little bit. Well, just think about John. He's in his 80s and he's, he's mining uh, because he's been exiled. And then also he has the, the worry of his churches who are being assaulted with a false doctrine. And even then, he gives this message, hey, uh, the joy, there's joy in the journey. And so we're going to talk about, how, how do you enjoy life with Christ? What do you have to do? So the first thing is, you have to get in the right car. You have to get in the right vehicle. One of my all-time favorite stories is about a, a little lady who was in Texas, and she had gone uh, grocery shopping, a little grandma kind of lady. She'd gone grocery shopping, and she comes out to get in her car, and she sees four guys sitting in her car. 
That's Texas, so she's packing. And uh, Granny pulls out her, out her uh, 38 special, and she points it at the guy. I don't know that she did it like this because that would be super cool, but she points it at it. She's been watching some Dirty Harry movies. She says something to the effect of, get out of the car, scumbags. I've, I'm packing, and I know how to use it. And these guys did not ask questions. They did not complain. They got out of the car, and they ran as fast as they could. Now, you can imagine this made her a little bit upset. I mean, that's, that's pretty traumatic. And so she loads her groceries in the back seat. She gets in the car, and for some reason, she can't get the key in the ignition. She tries and tries and tries. And then she realizes it's not her car. Well, that's a problem, if you think about it. So she unloads her groceries back into her buggy. She finds her car about four or five rows over. And she puts her groceries in the car, and she gets in the car, and she drives to the police station because she has to report this because she feels like she's probably caused some trauma in the life of other people. She tells the sergeant, the desk sergeant, what she's done, and he begins to laugh in a way that she doesn't quite understand. She walks her into the next room, and there are four guys reporting that they've been carjacked by grandma. Okay, so uh, it's important to get in the right car. I've had that experience before. I came, out of, uh, uh, I came out of Sam's one time. You know, I love Sam's because food there is cheap. They either give you samples or you can buy, uh, I forget what it used to be, but it, I, I bought a hot dog and a big Coke, and the Coke was as big as this table. Uh, uh, a hot dog and a Coke, and it was like $1.79. And, and, and I really didn't need it, and I really didn't want it, but it was a bargain. And so uh, I bought the big Coke and the hot dog, and, and I'm walking out to my car. This is in Muskegon, Michigan. I'm walking out to my car, and... I put my cup on top of the car, and I'm eating my dog, and I'm, about to, I'm trying to get my key in the, uh, the door, and there's a guy sitting in there, and then I realize it's not my car. Now, not only have I put my cup on top of the car, but I, I'm trying to get in, and he rolls down the window. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, can I help you? I was like, oh, I am going to get shot because it's Muskegon, Michigan, man, it's rough. Uh, I'm going to get shot right here uh, in, in the Sam's parking lot. And I said, dude, your, your car looks just like mine. Mine's right over there. And it really didn't look just like it. I mean, his was like, his was like a Lincoln and I drove a Civic. Uh, you know, it was like, uh, but they were both black. So I mean, it's like, it's the same color. And he was very cool about it. And he said, it's no worries. And he let me go on. But you can get in the wrong vehicle if you're not careful. And so John wants us to make sure we're on the right track. So in 1 John chapter 1, he says, We claim to you uh, the one who existed from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, hey, we know Jesus. And if anybody knew Jesus, John was one of Jesus' best friends. We proclaim to you the one that existed from the beginning, Jesus, who we have heard and seen. We've seen him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. We are uh, an eyewitness He is the word of life. And he uses four verbs here to sort of describe his relationship with Jesus. We've we've heard him. We heard him teach. We heard him uh, say words of affirmation. We heard him uh, object to the Pharisees. We we heard him uh, speak to people who... He talked to, to women, and that really wasn't done uh, in that society. And, and we, saw, we heard him do things, and we saw him do things. We saw miracles, and we saw him heal. And, and we saw him turn uh, uh, a few loaves and fish uh, into a feast for thousands. We, we not only heard what he did, we saw what he did. And then it says we saw him with our own eyes. It's a different word in the Greek. It literally means we studied him. 
We were around him and we, we studied him. And if, if you've worked with somebody for any length of time, you kind of pick up on some of their idiosyncrasies and how they do things. And, and I worked with my father for about five years at a muffler shop when I was in my early 20s. And I picked up on things. I watched how he dealt with people. And I, I heard how he would, would speak with folks. And there would be times where daddy and, and somebody would be in an argument over... Uh, a price or something. And I heard these little axioms come from my dad. I still use them today. And daddy would say to the guy that was trying to cheat him, he'd say, listen, if you can live with that, I can live without it. And I, I, I learned some things watching my father. And I watched how he dealt with, with people uh, in business. I learned some things. I studied. I, I didn't intend to study. I just did. It's just kind of how it works. When you're around people, you study them. And John was like, hey, man, we've studied them, and we've touched them, and we know, and we are, we are eyewitnesses, and we have seen it for ourselves. And then in verse 2, he says this, This one who is life itself has revealed to us, and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We saw Him. He's life itself. He has the very words of life. P- Peter said that one time. Uh, there were some disciples, and they were kind of falling away, and they weren't following Jesus anymore. And Jesus said to, the, to these guys, Hey, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, Who else, Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. And John's saying the, basically the same thing. He is life. This is a picture of a guy named Isaac uh, Hoopi, H-O-O-P-I-I. You'll recall 9-11 happened. Uh, there, were, uh, there was a plane that hit the Pentagon. And he was one of the police officers at the Pentagon. And he was working outside the building when the plane hit. And he saw people coming out of the building. And so he helped them. And he even carried some folks out. But for some reason, instinctively, he realized, or he, at least he suspected, there were some folks still in the building. And so he goes in, and even though people are saying, you can't go in there, you know, flames are just, not flames, but smoke is pouring out. And he goes in anyway. He doesn't really have the, the proper equipment. He's not wearing a mask. In fact, he didn't even put a handkerchief over his mouth. But he goes into the smoke because he felt like there might be somebody in there that needed him. And he starts to call out, can anyone hear my voice? And there was a guy named Wayne Sinclair, and he and five other workers had kind of gotten lost in the darkness, and they didn't know exactly where they were, and they'd lost their 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 uh, uh, their directions, and so uh, Isaac Hoopy he yells, "Hey, if, is anybody here?" And Wayne Sinclair says, "Yeah, we're here, but we don't know where we are." And and Hoopy says, "Follow my voice, find my voice, come to me. I'll keep yelling until you find me, and I know the way out." And they came to him, and he led them out. And his literally his voice was the word of life. His words were the word of life. That's what John's talking about here. That Jesus is literally life. He is life itself. He, he says, um, He is the one who is eternal life. If, if you're on a journey, it's not just about getting from here to there. It's about getting in the right car, going to the right place. And there are lots of illusions out there and delusions and people uh, are, are going after the wrong things. A lot of, it's, there's a lot of things out there. And, and it's like... Sometimes we, we go after mirages and, and we'll, we'll think this is going to be it, but it's not the real thing. In the 1850s, um, there was a, uh, the gold rush, and people would have to cross Death Valley in California to get to the west coast where the gold was. 
And these wagon trains would go across Death Valley, and they would see uh, something like this, and they would think it's water, and there's a lake out there called Owens Lake, and they would think it's Owens Lake, and they would head toward it, and the closer they got, the further away it seemed to get, and it was incredibly frustrating. And many, many of these wagon trains perished because they were going after something that looked real, but it wasn't real. It was a mirage. And people do that in their spiritual lives today. They go after things that look real, spiritually, but it's just a mirage. It might be good deeds, and they think, okay, if I do enough good things, God will reward me for my goodness, and there's going to be a scale, and I'm going to have more good than bad, and God's got to let me in. And here's the problem with that. That's not how it works. It's a mirage. It sounds good. It looks good. It's just not the right thing. There are people who think, all right, if I do enough rituals, I'm going to light enough candles, or if I'm going to obey the rules the way I think God intended me to obey the rules, then I'm going to win favor with God. And it's not about that at all. Here's the problem. You can do things for Jesus without actually having a relationship with Jesus. There's a text in Scripture that says something to the effect of, uh, when somebody stands before God, he, the, the guy says, did we not do many wonderful works? And the Lord will say, uh, depart from me, you workers. And the word in, in King James was, you workers of iniquity. What you consider, what we consider good works. See, a lot of times we do good things because we want to feel good about ourselves. It's not about Jesus at all. It's about feeling good about myself. I, I can do things for Jesus without having a relationship with Jesus. You've got to get in the right car. It's about relationship. Am I in the right car? Am I following Jesus? Or am I simply trying to prop myself up with my own goodness? Am I in relationship or am I just good? The second thing is this. You've got to get with the right people. Before I read the verse, let me tell you a story. When I was in college, I went to college and graduated from Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri. It's on the west side of the state. And I had some friends, and one of the girls that was a friend of mine uh, was from New Orleans. And so um, we had heard that there was a hurricane coming into the Gulf, and it was sort of projected to hit New Orleans. So um, I'm in college with friends, and you know what? We decided it would be a good idea. You probably know, don't you? We decided, hey, let's go to New Orleans and see the hurricane. I was in college, I wasn't learning anything. Obviously, that's stupid. You know who I didn't tell? I didn't tell my daddy. You want to know why? Because he would have said, boy, you stupid. That's dumb. You don't do that. So I didn't tell anybody. But we got in the car, and we drove to New Orleans because we were hoping that the hurricane was going to hit there. Well, it, got, it went someplace else. God is gracious to the stupid. Uh, it's not in the Bible, but it should be. Uh, he's gracious to us. And all we ended up doing was eating some great food on the French Quarter. So it was okay, but it was... a. The only reason I went is because my buddies wanted to go. Like, okay, I'll go. It was great. We can share the gas money, you know. Uh, we can go this way. And so we went. You got to be with the right people. So, so look at what John says. Whoa, wait a minute. There's my verse. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get to that horse guy in a minute. That's a really good story. Uh, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen. Again, we've seen it. We've, we, Jesus wasn't fake. We've seen it, and we've heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. Um, the Greek word there is koinonia. We don't use fellowship or koinonia very much, but it means, we, yeah, you are my people. We're, we're, we're people. You know, we're, you're, you're, we're together. We're, we're people. 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. There's joy in the journey. And come along with us and be a part of us. Because we're all moving the same direction. Think about it like being in a boat and there's several sets of oars and you all are all pulling the same direction. That's what, that's what fellowship means. That's what koinonia means. And when we get in the boat together, and we're going the direction together, it, the journey is it's easier and it's more pleasant, frankly. Um, the Lord lets us go through stuff in life to help other people go through stuff in life. I've told this before, but it just makes sense to me. My mother was the first of her friend group to be a widow. And so she didn't have really anybody to lean into about, hey, this is what it means to be a widow. And she kind of did that for two or three years, and she kind of figured it out. This is the process, and this is what you have to do. And then somebody else became a widow in her friend group. And you know who was there to help? My mother, because she'd been through it before. God gets us through things so we can help others get through the same things. And, and we're better together. The Bible, you, you can walk this path alone. You can do it. But it's not the best way. We're better together. We need each other. We, we need one another to help us. Now let me tell you about the horse guy here. His name is Monty Roberts. He is the, um, the motivation behind the movie The Horse Whisperer. And... His technique was unique, and this is what he would do. He would get in a corral with a wild horse, a horse that hadn't been broken, and he wouldn't approach the horse. In fact, he stayed as far away from the horse as he could while remaining in the corral, and he didn't make eye contact with the horse. He would keep you know, kind of looking one direction, and he would move with confidence, but slowly around the perimeter, and, and this horse, and it's a wild horse, so it's... It's pawing at the earth, and, and it's snorting, and it doesn't like having uh, somebody else in there with him. And he just stayed in there and kept moving, and the horse kept staying away from the horse. And eventually the horse is drawn to him. And, and this is his explanation. I found it fascinating. The animals need to be with others so much that they would rather befriend the enemy than be left alone. It's really interesting. How much more so should we want to be with our church family? Next week we're having this meal, and, and the meal we're going to meet in here, and we're just going to eat together. And um, Jesus multiplied the food, remember that? We're hoping to multiply the space, because good luck us getting everybody in here. But we're going to give it a go, and we're going to have a good time. And it's just like family, right? If family comes over and you have a whole bunch of family and you have to sit the crazy uncle outside, we'll do it. Uh, we've already got a list of who we're going to sit outside. Uh, so uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Carl, you're first. Uh, you're on the list, buddy. You're out, man. <laughs> we got a little tent for him, you know. Uh, but it's going to be good. We, we need each other. We need each other. It's just how, that's how it works. And... And we put up with each other sometimes, and we, we get along together. That's what, that's what being in fellowship with fellow believers looks like. That's what it looks like. Third thing is this. We need to travel in the light. The older I get, the less I le like to drive in the dark. I don't, I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I don't like it very much. Mostly because I hit things in the dark. Uh, I hit a deer one time. That wasn't much fun. That was in the dark. 
My daughter the other day, and she's young, so it, you know, can't blame it on her eyesight. She hit a raccoon crossing the road and did about $1,500 worth of damage to her car. Uh, so uh, in the light, you can see things better. And so uh, John talks about that, this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And over and over in Scripture, this, this picture of of God being light. Look, when I walk into a dark room, the first thing I do is look for the light switch because I, I want to walk in the light, not the dark. When the lights go out um, during a storm, the first thing I look for is a, a flashlight or I pick up my phone and use the flashlight on there because I want to see where I'm going. If I'm in a car and I'm driving at night or even at dusk or dawn, I want my lights on because I want people to see me and I want to be able to see. And the message here is, hey... Uh, God helps you walk in light. Look at this verse. I like this verse a lot. The teaching of your word gives light. So even the simple can understand. We like that in Kentucky because most of us feel pretty simple. Even the simple can understand. I can understand the directions of Scripture. They're not that complex. My daughter Mallory, um, she is a, she's a delight. But one time she was traveling back from Kentucky to Michigan, and she was between Kentucky and Michigan, and she calls me, and she says, Daddy, I don't know where I am. How do I get home? <laughs> so I said, Mal, do you have any idea? Like, do you, have, you know what state you're in? Can you give me, like, the state? Help me, help me know where you are. And we finally figured out. I said, drive around until you find something. You've got to find a landmark so you can help me. Again, it's back to you drive in the light, you help each other. This is what we are as a church family. We have to, we have to listen to the right voices. There are a lot of voices out there telling you what's right and wrong. There's a lot of them. You can get information from a lot of different places. There are psychics and there are horoscopes and there are this expert and that expert and they all tell you stuff and this is the way to listen. What I love about Scripture is it never changes, and it's always true. And so, if I have a question about it, I look to Scripture, it never changes, and it's always true. Now, people sometimes try to manipulate what it means, but usually what it has meant is what it means. Uh, we can make it say other things, but what, it meant, what it's meant is, is pretty much what it means. You have to be careful the voices you listen to. Let, let me show you a picture. This is a guy... Uh, from the Netherlands. He is a um, world-class um, distance skater. So he won the Olympics in 2010 in the 5,000-meter um, distance skating competition. Uh, he's from the Netherlands. Um, his name isn't Jumbo, by the way. Uh, does anybody... What's a common Netherlandy name for dudes? Anybody? Bjorn, that's good. That's not it, though. Sven. Sven, that's right. His name is Sven Kramer. Uh, I, had a, <laughs> I had a fellow classmate in seminary named Sven, and my professor always called him Seven. Uh, it always made me giggle. Um, seven, are you here? It's Sven. It doesn't matter. I'm going to call you Seven. So anyway, Sven was in this race. He had won the Olympics in the 5,000 meters. That's, that's like three miles of skating. Think about that. It's a long way. Now he's in the 10,000-meter race. By the way, he's a national hero because in the Netherlands, what else are you going to do but skate uh, or skate? That's all you got going on. So he national hero. 
he wins the gold medal and he crushes the record. The world record, the Olympic record, he went, he, by four seconds, he's faster than anybody. And he's heading to the podium and his coach comes up and he says, you've been disqualified. Now, you could think about how heartbreaking that is. You've trained for years and years and years and now you're told by your coach you've been disqualified. You know why he was disqualified? Because when you're in these skating distance races, sometimes you're on the outside lane and sometimes you're on the inside lane and you alternate. And his coach told him to switch lanes when he wasn't supposed to switch lanes. And Kramer said after the race was over with, I really knew that was wrong, but my coach told me that was what I was supposed to do. So I switched lanes. You have to be careful who you listen to. So what's your source of truth on this journey? It's a spiritual journey. Everybody's on a journey. Everybody's on a spiritual journey, frankly. You can be an atheist and still be on a spiritual journey. You might not know it, but you are. You could be an agnostic, you could be a skeptic, or you could be a fully devoted follower of Christ. But we have to figure out what is our source going to be for truth. And that's why you should turn to the Scriptures. Scriptures is our source of truth. Now, one more truth I want to lay on you, and then we're going to be done. Uh, transformation is the goal of the journey. It's not just getting from A to B. It's transformation. Uh, can I become more like Jesus between A and B? Let me go back to Mallory just for a second. She was such a sweet little kid, and she's a sweet young lady now. But Mallory had a, unlike her sisters, she did something that nobody else did. And if we were walking, and this was when she was three or four years old, little bitty. If we were walking from here to there, she would spot things on the ground. She had this innate ability to spot things. And so we'd be walking, and, and I'd be holding her hand, and, and next thing I know, she's be, bending over, picking up a little bitty flower. I couldn't even see it, or a little rock. And she would show me these treasures that she was finding. She was seeing everything. And I was a dad, and I was hurried, and it's like, come on, honey, let's go. That's great, let's go. I regret that today. I wish I had stooped down there with her and looked at the things that she wanted to look at because she really enjoyed the journey. I mean, A to B was an adventure for her. For me, it was A to B. What's A to B to you? I mean, if God wants to transform us, see, what happens a lot of times is something negative will happen in our life and we'll just get annoyed with God. God, I mean, why are you letting this happen? Again, let's go back to who's writing these words. It's a guy named John who is persecuted and his church is persecuted and he's writing these words. He just said, having joy in the journey. And too many of us are annoyed with difficulties rather than seeing how it might help us grow. Well, how's this problem going to help me grow? How's this problem going to help me grow? Because every problem can help you grow. John says this, So, uh, we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. Uh, we're not practicing the truth. Hey, all you Gnostics, he's saying. Hey, all you people who say that if it's flesh, it's evil, but if it's spirit, it's good. That's not truth, and I need to correct that. That's just not true. And then he says, um, but if we are living in the light, if we're listening to God's word, if we're living in the light as God is the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's not about how good you are, it's about relationship with Jesus. These are great words. 
In his gospel, he wrote, writes this way. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear uh, their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that, they can, uh, so that others can see what they are doing and what God wants. They can set an example for others. The problem with sin that I've found is that when I do bad things, eventually it comes out. <laughs> People find out. And, and if I do something bad, if, it, it eventually comes to light. And in fact, in Numbers it says, uh, you may be sure that your sins will find you out. It's true. Your sins eventually find you out. So to go on sinning, and, and what the Gnostics were saying, hey, I can sin over here in my body because my spirit is solid. And John is saying, that's just stupid. Don't do that. That's darkness. We need to be in light. What he's saying, don't walk in darkness, walk in light. And here's the good news for you and me. No matter where we are in the journey spiritually today, we can have relationship and a fellowship with the Lord. No matter where we are. Um, there's a guy named Todd Wilson. He's a pastor in Oak Park, Illinois. And he was playing the other day with his kids. And one of his kids started calling him Todd. You know, a uh, little kid, five or six years old, called him Todd. And, and so he, he stopped the play and he said, listen, um, really it's, it's sort of disrespectful to call me Todd. You need to call me Dad or Daddy. And, and the, the kids was like, well, t why, Daddy? Why does it matter that we call you Todd or not? And he gave a great explanation. I love this explanation. He said, listen, I have a certain kind of relationship with people that call me Todd. If you call me Todd, I'm your friend, and we're acquaintances, but there's just a certain level there. I, I like my friends, but I'm not going to die for my friends. Now, if you call me daddy, that's a different relationship altogether. I'll die for you. And you want the relationship of me as daddy more than you want me as Todd. And that made sense to them. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said to those of us who follow him, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends, which Jesus did. And then he said, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do. There's an old boy back in Kentucky when I used to pastor there. And he said, Pastor, when I die, I want to be buried in my four-wheel drive pickup truck. Which was common. It's Kentucky. Uh, but I asked him, I said, well, why do, you want to, why do you want to be buried in your pickup truck? And he said, I ain't never seen a hole she can't get me out of. That was his, that was his notion. And I'm here to tell you, you might have dug yourself a hole in... In sin, you might have dug yourself a hole. There's not a hole that Jesus can't get you out of. I speak from experience. Uh, I've dug some holes. I've gotten myself into some jams. I have uh, gotten off the path, walked in the darkness. When I read these words, I understand them because I've lived them. I, I get it. And I have never drifted so far away from the Lord that He didn't pull me back. Didn't welcome me back. And I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you this. 
you are not so far from God that He will not, with open arms, welcome you home. Never been a hole you've ever been in that He can't get you out of. Let's pray. Father, You are amazing. Your Son is amazing. What He did for us is amazing. That You love us at all is amazing. That there's nothing that can separate us from You also amazing. I pray, God, that you would draw us to you. Help us to have joy in the journey. Help us to not get frustrated when things don't go our way, but help us to remember that transformation is a process. And sometimes we have to go through difficult things to grow to be like your son. Help us to do so with a smile on our face and with joy in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.